3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Tuesday Morning Breakfast. It's 7am on Tuesday, the 27th of February, 2024. My name is Fung, and in the studio today, we've got Carnegie, Ivka, and Francis. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Morning. Hello. <laughs> so, how is everyone? Anything to report from the weekend? Uh, I was going to say it was my first time at Melbourne Art Fair, which was a new experience for me. And I was going along with a friend, um, and it was sort of strange seeing art so close to the commercial side and the selling of art and the um, people who were promoting works. Um, and doing sort of VIP things. But I wanted to say that there were some great artists if people are looking for things to see. So one of them was um, Emanate, which um, it was at the Melbourne Art Fair, but it's also showing at CB1 Gallery. Um, And that's a work by artists um, Simone Arnold and Bernard Lee Singleton. Um, And in the description, it's a celebration of grounding and earthing practices that are deeply embedded in our culture. It captures the profound connection between people that walk, dance and stand bare feet on the earth and the importance of grounding oneself in the present moment. Um, So that's CB1 Gallery in Abbotsford. And there's also um, a couple of great works from N Smith Gallery, which is um, in Sydney, but looking at a lot of decolonizing practices. Um, so artists, Kyla, Kyra Manktello, sorry about that, Kyra Manktello and Joan Ross, um, both looking at that. And finally, one more, um, Danny McKenzie, who's um, being shown in Mars Gallery at Windsor and is an Australian-born artist um, living in Nam and influenced by street photography. So that's a good one too. Anyone else see any good art? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but now that I've got a few cool. to add to my list. Thank you. Yeah. Um, did anyone else get into get in um yeah, get up to anything over the weekend? I had my friend's wedding, which was out on Jadra, Wong Wurrung country, sorry. Um, and her partner's Brazilian and they met at a gig and so music has always been this thing through their relationship so it's just so nice to have music so weaved into a wedding and they had a lot of their friends play all sorts of different traditional Brazilian music and it was just it was a nice sort of solace for a day. Mm. That sounds beautiful. That's Mm. really lovely. Um, I love hearing about when people meet and if there's like a running thread you know through their story that it like gets shown at their celebration 
Mm. It's just funny because it started because it was a gig that we went to. Uh, it was about 10 years ago because we were very attracted to the men in the band on stage and then she met someone that she married 10 years later so we always thought that was quite funny but yeah they both kept playing music and play together and play with friends and you go to the their house and they bring out the guitar so yeah it's really special that's so nice i love that love this um the chat this morning it's very like arts focused (laughs) (laughs) we love the arts on this show a new segment Mm. yeah yeah (laughs) Okay, well, let's get into what we've got on today's show. So first up, we're going to play for you a discussion that I had with Renee Ha, who is a Vietnamese queer migrant based on Gadigal land. Um, They are one of the founders of Stamped Zine, which is a project by migrants for migrants. So I sat down with them over the weekend to talk about this scene, why it's so important, and also the migrant experience in so-called Australia, which contains multitudes and and complexities. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to bringing everyone that conversation this morning. Uh, At 7.45, we'll hear from uh, Dr. Susan Carland, who's an academic at Monash University and who has recently conducted research for the Islamophobia Register, which has found uh, that there is anti-Palestine bias in Australian media. So we'll be playing a conversation I had with Susan. At 8 o'clock, just like every other week, we'll be giving you a brief update on what's happening at Camp Sovereignty today. Uh, and at 8.05, we'll hear from uh, Jade Blackerley, the CEO of WIRE, which is a Victorian-based intersectional feminist organisation, speaking about their work to generate uh, meaningful change and about the upcoming International Women's Day events. And at 8.15, to finish off the show, we'll be hearing from Giselle Nayef, who is a staunch uh, socialist and activist and a year 12 student who is involved in the School Students for Palestine strikes, uh, ones coming up this Thursday. So Giselle will be talking to us about that. Okay, that's a great show that's coming up. Um, We'll be back with the news headlines right after this. We know you love listening to 3CR. But we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends. So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio and these are the news headlines for Tuesday 27th of Feb. Uh, First up, the final report from the university's accord uh, was released on Sunday 25th of February. Uh, This review was initially initiated as a Labor pre-election promise in 2021 with the goal of reforming higher education in Australia and thinking a little bit more long-term rather than looking at piecemeal changes to our broken higher education system and some broken funding. So a major recommendation in the review is increasing the overall proportion of university-educated Australians 
And this has come with a focus on equity and ensuring that people with disadvantaged backgrounds get through university. Um, but it's not exactly the goal per se of the report. Um, as Sally Patfield, New- University of Newcastle, notes in her conversation article, much of the language on parity or proportional representation has the rationale of more skilled workers with quotes like growth through equity and skills through equity. Uh, Even so, we are seeing important aims in terms of access, um, including for Indigenous students, students in regional areas and students from low socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, On First Nations students, the report notes that First Nations people comprise 3.7% of Australian population, but account for just 2.1% of higher ed enrolments and just 1.5% of finished degrees. And the report offers some recommendations to change this with a focus on ensuring self-determination and First Nations-led reviews of higher ed, better leadership positions for Indigenous staff, a survey into institutional racism, and better research funding to support First Nations knowledges. Um, More generally, there's a push for changes to funding which would better support disadvantaged students, including um, rolling back or ditching the Job Ready Graduates Scheme, which the coalition government introduced and which was shown to have uh, no positive effect. Um, And also things like um, fairer and simpler um, help loans, um, financial support for students who are doing work placements, those sorts of things. Um, So there's some good uh, systemic changes that are recommended um, but there's also some details which we're still missing um, and we still want to see more focus on um, the sort of funding structures and some changes that would happen um, right now but it's a good push in the right direction. Um, Also in the news, a media release yesterday, the 26th of Feb, from the Australian Seeker Resource Centre, the ASRC, um, notes the deep concern about the lack of public information released by the Australian government on the welfare of the 39 people who were forcibly transferred to Nauru after they were found in a remote area of WA last week. Um, Jane Favaro, ASRC Director of Systemic Change, says um, for the past decade, the operations of offshore processing have been shrouded in secrecy. And while there has been a lack of visibility, billions of dollars have been wasted. People have lost their lives. uh, And it appears this secrecy is set to continue. Um, Betalem Tibabu, a human rights activist and refugee previously held on Nauru, um, says my heart broke when I saw the recent asylum seekers arriving in Nauru. I put myself in their shoes and remember all my bad memories of being there again. We now bring you some news from the genocide in Palestine. So aid agencies have reported that half a million people in Gaza are facing starvation and all 2.3 million people are experiencing acute um, food shortage. So uh, Philip Lazzarini, who is the Commissioner General of UNRWA, which is the United Nations Relief and Works Agency uh, for Palestine, said or wrote on social media, quote, the last time um, UNRWA was able to deliver food aid to northern Gaza was on January 23rd, end quote. Um, So these aid agencies claiming that Israel has been um, delaying these deliveries of of food. Um, As I said before, Um, at least 500,000 people are facing famine, um, while nearly the entire population of Gaza is experiencing um, acute 
food um, shortage. Um, and these are coming from figures from the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. Um, and on Sunday, it was reported that a two-month-old um, Palestinian boy died of starvation. Uh, Israel has opened just one entry point um, into Gaza since the start of the war and has imposed um, endless checking procedures for trucks to pass through, according to the UN. We've also seen photos and um, footage of Israeli protesters who are blocking aid convoys at the Karem Abu Salem entry point um, into southern Gaza, um, which is, has just, um, yeah, it's really hard to watch actually um so since february 9 the average number of trucks that entered gaza daily was about 55 and this was compared uh, with 500 that used to enter before the start of um, the genocide according to the un agency in other news as well the israeli government um has planned or is planning to move forward with the building of 3,344 new housing units um, uh, to, oh, yeah, building 3,344 new housing units, 2,350 units in the settlement of Malet Abdemim and 694 in Efrat and 300 in Qadar. Um, according to um, Peace Now, which is a non-profit organisation, um, these are significant and expansive projects that will um, greatly impact the possibility of reaching a two-state solution. Um, so these housing units are not only um, harmful, but um, for this to happen whilst um, there is a genocide happening in, in Gaza is... Um, is just incomprehensible as well. If, like I'm sure many of us, you're feeling like there's so much, um, you've got a lot of rage and frustration towards what's happening, as well as the our government's lack of action, you can always join a Free Palestine action um, throughout the week, and there are so many um, happening this week as well. So tonight at 6 p.m., um, there is a vigil for Palestine happening in Manningham, and so that's located at 699 Doncaster Road, Doncaster. Um, there is, as, of, as well, a film screening um, called Palestine Stolen Images. That's happening at the, um, the Nibs Backroom, uh, which is held in the Trades Hall basement. If you would like to keep up to date with what's happening, make sure you follow Free Palestine Melbourne, but also if you follow... Um, Friends of the Earth Melbourne, they always update their website and their Instagram with uh, what's happening um, for Palestine on a weekly basis. So those are our news headlines for today, Tuesday the 27th of February. Uh, we'll be back with our first segment right after this. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war, stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm, State Library, this Sunday, 
rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to uh, Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio 855am or streaming online at 3cr.org.au. Renee Ha is a Vietnamese queer migrant based on Gadigal land, also known as Sydney. They have successfully, (laughs) this is their words, they've successfully escaped academia slash cash cow title by finishing a master in digital communication and culture at the University of Sydney. Renee is also project coordinator for Stamp Zine, which is a project made by migrants for migrants. Um, On their website, they say that the goal of Stamped is to create a space for visa holders to express both the mundane and the aspirational while trying to settle in in brackets temporarily. A place to protest without the shame of needing to be grateful or being told that you should return to your homeland, end quote. I spoke with Renee over the weekend about this project as well as the migrant experience in so-called Australia, which contains multitudes, complexities and challenges often overlooked or flattened in mainstream media. So here is part one of our discussion. Hi, Renee. Thank you so much for joining us on 3CR today. Thank you for having me. This is such a, you know, pleasant, I guess a bit of a surprise, but also, yeah, um, thank you for asking me to join in today. Of course. Can you start by telling us about Stamped Zine, uh, how it came into creation and why you thought it was necessary to have a project like this? Okay, so about Stamped. Um, This has been something that I kind of like ruminating over the years and years because I came to Australia as an international student. And as an international student, there's been a lot of talks around us and eventually I finished as a student. And then it kind of like shift my relationship with the visa because then, as you know, if you want to migrate into the Australian territory, your kind of like existence within the state need to ties within the purpose of your stay. So after finishing uni, I was like, oh crap, What's going to be about, I'm off the spotlight as a student, but now I'm going to be, you know, that quote-unquote um, unemployed migrant kind of talk going around. And so with that in mind, the zine happened just because in the end of my visa status, I was also in my own zone of anxiety and frustrations. And of course, when I logged into Facebook groups, you know how migrants, we always have a lot of group just to talk like, hey, what's going on? Like I was hopping in between with like Vietnamese international students across the globe, as well as the Australian visa holders group as well. And both space, we always ask each other, what are we going to do when the visa expires? What steps can we do to survive this? And it was a very great space for the talks to happen, like very, you know, organically on Facebook, but, you know, it's only limited social media. And so I know like the ideas are out there, but like we need to make a well record of applications to put it out there. So like, hey, like this is a space that we can seek its support. And at the same time, the organizing between migrants can be very precarious just because we don't have any sort of security when we're at the borders. As a yeah, does it need to be like some sort of like safe holder sort of people to just like seek out for? What you just said about organizing being such a 
difficult thing to achieve as migrants because of the lack of security when it comes to visa, but so many other types of insecurity in so-called Australia. Um, that's such an important issue to to look into because you have, you know, unions, you have other groups that are organising. But, yeah, what kind of organising space is there for, for migrants and for international students, if any? That's a hesitation because, you know, like, if you ever had a chance to look at the visa and immigration form, right? Australia have a whole little characteristic check being like, have to commit it to this, you know, like there's a list of things for to qualify for your character requirement in, and in there, it has a cost being like, have you ever be affiliated with any political groups or kind of like uh, public disobedience? And it was like, like protest, freedom fighters, that sort of thing. And that little clause right there kind of like put some sort of like preconditional way for you to conduct within the country. Of course, there could be leeway here and there, but you fully understand that it is not desirable for a migrant to be politically engaged. And that's how it's been like that, because like as a class itself, migrants seems to be the most apolitical conversation being subjected as victims. We're subjected to be like passive by the borders without having our own autonomy to speak out, just because there would be guaranteed punishment to do so. And especially, you know, how like, as migrants, like before us in the 21st century, yeah, like we have refugees, but people, even refugees now as well, like they're just so detested and passive in the way that we're reported. And so like, this is like one of like the many attempts that I know people organized before me, you know, whether they're like refugee walkouts recently in Canberra or just like both people, you know, now that we have second and third generation settled down and we advocate for immigration rights, but it's just not enough to think about borders. And so yeah that hesitation that anxiety that fear to organize to speak out then exposes migrants to a lot of mistreatment and exploitation in a range of settings um i was wondering if you could talk a bit about that okay so to very voice my utmost solidarity with the workers we all exploitative under racial capitalism of course right but for the circumstances of migrants, it's a very tricky dynamic, to say the least, because crossing border to me always comes with the differences you have to overcome. And first and foremost, when we, whenever we think about migrants, is the aspect of language. Speaking from me, I know that my English fluency has saved me so much time and energy and access to spaces just because of the way that I conduct myself. And so when I was organizing this, I was asking myself, like, who would trust me to come into this space? Do we share the same language or do we even share the same sort of, I guess, concerns as well? Because again, we're not a monolith and all that, right? And when it comes to exploitation, it becomes a multitude of complexities that any myths that we have can be easily weaponized. Because migrants themselves, we're not all clean, but like even with our first issue, there was a very heartbreaking story of this one international student where she went out to look for rent and and the person she was renting from was her compatriot. You know, they come from the same country. And it's like, okay, we shared the same roots. We're supposed to help each other out. Not the case. And it's super heartbreaking to say that. You know, like the racial stereotypes gonna come in and then when you're gonna redirect it to Western then, what's gonna happen? And then and and then it sort of like boils down to like very 
frustrating conversations that make it very difficult to think about what exploitation can mean with the intersection of class and race and you know ableism and all that as well. And so for migrants, in order to overcome with that, they have to grapple with those terms themselves. Because the insidious things about migrants is that no one forced us, you know, allegedly, no one forced us to flee a war. I think many women deter with migrants, we have a lot of umbrellas, right? People escape from wartime, but most of the time people by choice, as well as a voluntary by choice for economic needs. And so we kind of like happen to struggle with ourselves. Okay, we picked this hell. We need to cope with this hell. We need to accept this. And so it became such an insidious cycle that if you're lucky, you might get out of it. But then most of the time, the amount of stories I heard of like, you know, like people who kind of just like disappear or um, lost by suicide and all that. And it just, yeah, just frustrating. Yeah, definitely. So tying that back into then the zine, together with other migrants and using this zine space as something that you can ground your experience in to connect with others and to express whatever you want to express. What was it like to do that, to go through this process with with other people who would, of course, have so many different experiences and different stories, but perhaps similar frustrations and challenges being migrants in so-called Australia? What was it like? So one disclaimer is that in our crew, we actually do have one Australian, Chinese Australian. We have one Australian national for the purpose of asking for grants. <laughs> because you know, when you ask for grants, you're not really eligible. And one of the primary thing, the reason why I make this zine is because out of spite. Because as a migrant, there's so many jobs opening be there, like Australian PR only. And I'm like, you know what? This non-Australians only, come on in. We got you covered. This is our space. No Australian is going to trespass. Maybe one, just because we need the grand money. <laughs> and, the, and that was that was the only thing that I had, right? And so when the zine happened, I was, of course, very anxious. Like, who's going to be on board of this? Like, are we too much? Like, is the language too radical? Like, is it is it like too negative? Like, you know, for like a person to come along. But I was very, very lucky to have people reaching out to me and arrange people sort of like giving some attention in the channels that they know. And most of the time, they tend to be also young people as well that can be like rather understanding because I do understand that the intertension between generations do happen. And so when the zine happened, it was just like me thinking up all my friends that I met along the way, you know, like, you know what? We all know about this. Let's do something together. And it kind of like always like friendships that build up with that trust. And when the zine happened with like submissions coming in and just like people agreeing to publish with us and it's like, oh man, like this is, we did it. It was like a big center really. We did our very first issue and I'm just like thinking of like, how can we continue to move forward as well? Cause like, this is a very um, positive signal that we should continue to do it. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it really helps to combat the stereotypes that are out there swirling, published by mainstream media who write often about migrants, but in a way that's not nuanced, flattens the experience, and I imagine misses out on a lot of the the details. That's the thing. I don't think that they, they're missing on the details. It's more like when I come to student media and also as me in general, right, 
we always have to fight for attention. And it's like, how much coverage can you have to talk about this specific issue? And so, you know, like how the little stereotypes in Australian media being like, oh, if you want to talk about multiculturalism, apply for SBS. You know, no. <laughs> right? And so it kind of started from that. And I happened to be, you know, like when the conversation started on Twitter, of course, I try to connect to people and say, okay, how many international students are really needed into journalism? And which newsroom can I get into? And often I know that from ABC and SBS, like two departments that I tend to be in, and they they do really absolutely great reports because they like Asia Pacific or things that like, you know cross the border, like big voice politics. But immigration policy in specific seems to be like the little thorn that nobody can get into. Or like I know that a lot of people wish to write about it, but then the constraints of publication happens. And this is like my little leeway. You know, let's protest us a little bit. Just our hop. But yeah. That was part one of my discussion with Renee Ha about Stamp Scene, a project by migrants for migrants telling their stories and uh, their experiences in so-called Australia. We're going to come back to part two of the conversation after this next track. This is by TK Maitsar, Lolo Zwayi and Amber Mark and it's called Out of Luck. Are you out of No 
the song Out of Luck by TK Maitza, Lolo Zuai and Amber Mark. We're back now with part two of my conversation with Renee Ha, Vietnamese queer migrant based on Gadigal land about Stamp Scene, a project made by migrants for migrants. So coming back to the zine, um, what types of stories or texts will readers find in this publication? Okay, so I have to admit, when I put out to the call out, we basically did not have that many uh, to come through it, right? I, we don't really have that many people who join it just because um, maybe the time is a bit too rushed. And that's on my organizing um, <laughs> kind of lack of, uh, I guess, resources and also just a bit spontaneous, I have to admit that. And the thing is that, like, I guess, writing for a theme and having the time for people to write it is also a bit of an ask because a lot of migrants that um i know they're not really creatives they do have their day jobs they are stuck in their ways of two or three jobs as well like anybody else and you hardly ever have the time just like to sit down and like do something and so like just we take what we can have and for this first one a lot of it tend to be self-biography so a lot of love just like retelling the stories, they just express themselves. We have poems and we have essays, and that's like the very first step of it. Um, nothing too hardcore on political commentary or analysis whatsoever, um, because those tend to be grad students anyway. Um, but so far, I think ideally with the zine, I do want to make this as a little information hub. So not only with just poetry, we have a little efforts to, uh, I guess, when when I can do it, I would like to add more sort of like tips on where can you find the best groceries if you ever feel like homesick or um, culture events that we can come into if we miss um, talking our own tongue. So more like we want the migrant experience to be a bit easier and also to share each other's space as well. Because like sometimes when migrants come in, right, we tend to play, we tend to only hang around with our co-nationals, you know, like. Vietnamese can be Vietnamese, Chinese can be Chinese, Nepalese can be Nepalese kind of thing. And I want to have a shared mutual space in which second generation of diaspora has been doing it just because you guys shared experience of, you know, growing up in Australia as a person of color. And so that's kind of like the effort I want to do with like the first gen migrant. So essentially that. Yeah. And I guess that goes back to what you were saying about having those organic fluid conversations that you would have on Facebook sharing information, sharing experiences, asking questions, giving advice, all of those things, but perhaps in, yeah, something sort of concrete and tangible and offline as well, because not everyone 
has the privilege to be online or or wants to be online. Uh, I wanted to ask about the theme of the first scene being limbo. Um, what does that mean for for migrants? Okay, limbo is a term that I feel like I maybe do I overuse it? Maybe, but at the same time, it's kind of like the whole thing just like sticking on my head. Like, ah, oh, can you ever decide on where you're going to live? Because a lot of people in reports as well, it's like, visa limbo, like, what are they going to do? What's going to be policy like? And it always comes down to the limbo of waiting for the decision by the state. It's, it's like every single time you, you ask a migrant, like, hey, are you going to stay or leave? And it's a very funny question because like, even if we want, do we have the right to decide that? And that limbo is where I want to focus on the power dynamic of like who gets to decide the way that we live. Is it us or the government? So always come back to the government. And so limbo is me wanting to say that, okay, like this sort of insecurity is deliberate. And at the same time, yes, it's very ass at the same time a lot of people have to always to cope with it and i don't want to just like give in just like total despair i'm like okay like some people some people survive this maybe if this can help we can share each other the resources to hold on until the final decision is made and essentially that was limbo was kind of like um direction that i wanted to go yeah and you just explaining that just now makes me think of what you were saying earlier about you know, you were describing that experience that some migrants have of like, well, moving to a certain country was quote unquote a choice, but what about the choice to stay? Yeah, that's really interesting that you asked that question of, okay, is it up to each person whether or not they stay or leave or is it even beyond, that's beyond their capabilities or even their knowledge do they even know so I think that's a really interesting interesting question to to put out there it's yeah because like the, the thing with like for every single identity we, that we live under policy making migrants seems to be like a very funny space because when you cross the border your home country seems to like we don't really give a shit about you you just do whatever you want in another country but that's also depending on how powerful the government is if you know if you're a trans citizen american citizen you go to like you know like a developing nation sort of thing it could wreck hell for diplomacy and all that because migration in the end is to talk about conversation is about economic business it's all about like you know what's the diplomacy and interest that you allow people to be in and out and especially for countries like vietnam or like china for instance right so because of our background history with communism and all the the red scare had been going on. There's a lot of kind of like connotations on how people are allowed to be let in. And the ways of migrant is, is literally a lottery. And if you ever look at the charts on like the numbers that they allow to be in net migration, that's that's the very heartbreaking thing because we are measured each person by each person. And you never know like what's going to happen within the borders affairs and who gets to decide that at all. And, and so, like, that's, like, the mystique of border control. And I can only know, like, a handful of people that used to work in that department and actually say it. But in the end of the day, it's, like, this cop nation, like, I, <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to change, especially with Dutton. So, yeah. 
in preparation for this interview reading some of the articles that contained the term limbo that Stamp Zine posted online. It's interesting the type of language that's used to describe migrants and visa holders, and it's such loaded language, like talented, skilled, unskilled. Yeah, that the pitting of people against each other, which is completely out of your hands. That's not something that you get to decide or or choose to participate or not participate in. That's that language is forced upon migrants without your consent. The game, that's why that's the conundrum. Cause like um, you know the more interesting part because within the zine we do have like a series of nationalities. For instance, I think that we do have one American, but they are a uh, black American, which makes it very interesting in comparing to other places like you know, Vietnamese, Chinese. And I think there was a Scottish in there as well. Because again, like when, when this, I do not want to divide just as like, you know, white and non-white issue. Because again, we are subjected with a very tangible policy making process. And I really want to make clear how it affects me different identities, right? And so the word migrants in a way we're to determine again is depending on what sort of passport do we hold. And recently, I don't know if you do read the news on Vietnamese diaspora, but there was a case of the missing Vietnamese student that was like shake up everyone and people sending it to me like, yeah, kind of no, but you wouldn't want to read the Vietnamese internet side of it because it's actually even more nasty comparing to the English ones, I would say, because there was been anxiety of like, how can we escape the border and just to make money? And we keep joking like Vietnamese is like have the highest rate of people who study overseas, but also the highest rate of um, dropping the visa and working illegally. See, even working as illegal is a very funny thing when people are like, oh, you need to rise up productivity, but less than people from working. And I'm like, what's the, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. That's the multiple kind of paradox there. I'm like, yeah, like sort your shit out. I, yeah. Yeah. And as we come to our, at the end of our interview, Renee, I think what you've just said now, it's just really solidifies the fact that being a migrant in, in so-called Australia does is an experience that contains multitudes, a lot of complexity and a lot of unknowns. I think with that, I wanted to thank you for, for joining us on the show today to speak about Stamp Scene and the experience of migrants here in so-called Australia. Um, before you leave, though, if if any of our listeners out there are interested in um, obtaining a copy of the zine or finding out more, or if we have listeners who are interested in contributing or sharing their experience with you, where can they go? Well, at first, we only have one social media channel on Instagram at the moment, at Stamzine. But we also have um, information on our website and everything. But you can just like Instagram is our only channel at the moment that you can reach out to it. Um, we do routinely update our stands and stories, and hopefully we're gonna write more in the future as well. And we actually in, prepar- uh, in preparation for our second issue. So um, just give us like a couple of weeks to gather all of our crew, and we'll be back shortly. Great. Well, thank you so much for that, Renee. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Well, thank you so much for like it was very great just to rant at you. <laughs> 
That was Renee Ha speaking to Fung about their project called Stamp Zine and more generally about being a migrant in so-called Australia. If you'd like to find out more about the project, you can follow them on Instagram at Stamp Zine or by visiting their website stampedzine.wordpress.com. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, It's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war, stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm, State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Here's what's happening at Camp Sovereignty today, Tuesday 27th of February 2024. At 12pm, there will be a reading group. At 6pm, there will be a Kokotha Country fundraising chat. At 8.30pm, there will be a session on self-representation in court. And as always, dinner is served at 7pm and the smoking ceremony is at 8pm. Camp Sovereignty is located at what's formerly known as King's Domain Resting Place. We will be right back with our next interview after these messages. The law is part of our everyday lives, including when we buy something, use a service, have a job, or rent a house. The law can be used to help protect and support families when there is violence in the home or disputes over parenting arrangements. Sometimes we might need to understand the law to navigate specific government systems like Centrelink, getting a residency visa, or if we come into contact with the police. Community legal centres provide free, quality legal advice and assistance to help people with everyday legal problems. We focus on working with people who are experiencing disadvantage, such as financial hardship, family violence, homelessness and discrimination. Community legal centres are independent, non-government organisations and can be found across Victoria and Australia. If you're experiencing a legal problem, your local community legal centre may be able to help. To find a community legal centre near you, visit the Federation of Community Legal Centres Victoria at www.fclc.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Australia's energy market is broken. Right, but Copower gives you better energy? Nope, no retailer can control where the electrons they buy off the grid come from. But as a Copower member, you can vote on where 100% of revenue goes. So instead of corporate profit, your energy bill builds the world you want to be a part of. That's cool. Learn more about the solidarity economy and Copower today and take the power back. Victorian energy fact sheets and basic plan information documents are available at cooperativepower.org.au. For clear advice on the right plan for you, contact us on 03 9068 6036. A 3CR supporter. 
So uh, Jade is the CEO of WIRE, a Victorian-based intersectional feminist organisation. Uh, since 1984, WIRE has been working to support women and now non-binary people as well with the issues that they and their communities face and with the goal of generating meaningful system change. Uh, welcome to 3CR, Jade. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, can you start by telling our listeners um, a little bit about WIRE and the work of your organisation? Sure. So WIRE started in 1984 and it was um, a group of women who got together um, to make sure that women in the community had access to free information and support and services and that they could find what they were looking for on any issue. Now, we still do that, so we still run a telephone and online and in-person support service where women, gender diverse and non-binary people can contact us and talk through anything that's happening for them. Um, and we'll help them through sort of unpack and understand what's going on for them and then help them to find the right support that they need. And we do that across Victoria. That sounds amazing um, and such an important service. Um we wanted to talk to you today um, in part about some events that you're organising for um, International Women's Day. Um, so you're organising a great debate uh, with RMIT Culture um, titled The Good Old Days Weren't That Good. Um, can you tell us why you focused on this theme? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, things have changed for people and I think, you know, people get caught up in a little bit of a you know, a, a conundrum between either sort of saying, oh, things are great these days, no, women have got equal rights, and, you know, there's not there's not these gender issues that there used to be. But at the same time, people also kind of think back and think, oh, gee, it was so much better in the olden days. There was no internet to capture every mistake I made, or, you know, things were simpler. And I think neither of those are completely true, and the answer is much more nuanced and varied um, than that and we just thought that it was a good opportunity with International Women's Day and the theme for this year which is Count Her In and about accelerating um, economic empowerment for women and so we thought well it's a good opportunity to get some people who know some stuff and some people who are great at entertaining us together and sort of have a light-hearted but reflective kind of conversation about actually what's changed, what hasn't changed, what do you still need to change, um, you know, in our society. Yeah, uh, definitely. And um, one of the things in the description, um, it says that um, you'll be focusing on uneven advances in gender equality. So on the one hand, I guess, um, how things aren't just sort of going forward in a linear way, but also how things are very different for different groups, depending on um, intersections with um, sexuality, gender diverse, class, race, all of these sorts of things. Um, so do you think that um, with International Women's Day that there are enough um, moves towards this um, intersectional approach or are we seeing a sort of um, corporate focus or a pinkwashing that some people are criticising the day for? Yeah, look, I think we, we definitely do see that. I think that, you know, whilst interestingly events, um, International Women's Day has come from, you know, the United Nations and quite a strong focus on global inequality and, you know, a whole lot of really complex challenges in a country like Australia has been picked up a lot and, as you're saying, sort of promoted by that corporate, um, you know, sense of wanting to say, look at us, aren't we, aren't we great, how well everyone's doing? 
And I think what we see and hear from the people we talk to day in and day out is that that is not the reality even in a country like Australia, that for many, many people there's still a lot of inequity and a lot of challenges and, as you say, really impacted by what else, what other oppressions or other systems people are having to deal with and, you know, how we how we see race and class and a lot of those things. So I think it is a, a real risk, which is why... You know, we've really tried to make sure that we've got a diverse group of people talking and we're, you know, yes, we're trying to have a bit of a, a light-hearted, let's not give people too many lectures kind of approach, but at the same time, we're really wanting to remind people and hear those voices of what's actually happening for people on the ground. Yeah, of course. And can you tell us about um, some of the guests that you'll have on the debate? Yeah, look, we've got um, a, a diverse group of people, which is exciting. So we've got... The fabulous Nellie Thomas is emceeing for us and she's a, um, you know, has been active in, in feminism and, and disability support and a whole range of other things for a long time. Um, we've got uh, Janty Blair, who's the recent winner of the Deadly Comedy Award, coming and talking with us. Um, Claire Hooper, Julie Hickey, Rana Hussain, Ro Allen, who's Victoria's um, Human Rights Commissioner, um, Mev Elkins from from the tribe and and Unisign. So really trying to bring together people who've got different experiences and different perspectives on you know, on where we're at and where we could be going. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes that um, lighthearted approach um, is really important. It doesn't mean it's not coming with um, a real discussion of of the issues. Um, do you have uh any thoughts um, in terms of uh, what we should be focusing on this um, International Women's Day in terms of systems change? Um, I think um, WIRE has a bit of an approach that they're going for. Could you um, share that with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So when we um, listen to and, and hear, as we've been doing so long from people, one of the really common uh, stories that we hear or common issues underlying a lot of things for people is economic inequality and that without, um, you know, not just our, you know, our systems, our, our structures, our workplaces, you know, really reinforce a lot of, a lot of inequality. And that's what we really hear. And I think in terms of... And it's an area where the focus of change is often on the individual. Right? That person should just get a job or that person should manage money better or, you know, a whole lot of things which are really don't reflect the reality of the systems and the way that the systems that are operating around us reinforce that. So, you know, what we're really trying to do is to, is to think about how do we make that, that kind of change. So let's say, for example, someone's um, experiencing financial abuse, you know, they, they might be in their back, and that's the place most people go if they're under extreme financial pressure or, or the other the person that they're in a relationship with controlling their money, they talk to their banks because they can't pay their mortgage, they can't pay their credit card, those kind of things. And what we hear so often is that people working in the bank, and not for individual fault, but they just don't get it. They don't understand the impact that that has. And so it's really important that we're actually alongside listening to people. One of the things that we're keen to do is to work with those systems to actually change their understanding and their knowledge so that when that individual person calls, they're getting some they're talking to someone who gets it and who understands and who understands the ways that other things, you know, other systems might be impacting for that person. Yeah, it's it's so important so that um 
we do focus on those uh, structures and systems, not just at the individual level. Um, we don't have much more time, Jade. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the practical details, the logistics of the Great Debate? Um, when's it happening? Where? Sure. So the Wise Great Debate is happening next Thursday, so that's the 7th of March at 6pm at the Capitol Theatre in Swanson Street. There's still tickets available, though they are selling quickly, um, and they're $20 and $10 for concession, and they're available on Humanitics. So if you Google Humanitics Wise Debate, it'll pop up and you can jump on from there. Thanks so much. Um, thanks for joining us on the show, Jade. No problem. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Uh, so that was Jade, um, CEO of WIRE, and you can find out more about their work at www.wire.org.au. Uh, we'll be back with the next segment uh, after a few announcements. So it's up to us, the people... We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR. 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. Did you know that Ripponlea Estate is recognised as a leading biodiversity hotspot within the city of Glenara? It is a haven for birds and other wildlife. Ripponlea Estate is now running bird spotting tours, providing an opportunity for the community to explore the beautiful 14 acres of gardens with a volunteer guide searching out the diverse family of birds that call Ripponlea home. Please visit ripponleaestate.com.au to view tour times and to book your tour. The National Trust of Australia is a 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Giselle Nayef is a Year 12 school student for Palestine organiser and staunch social activist. She is joining us on the show this morning to tell us about the school strike for Palestine this Thursday. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast, Giselle. Thank you. It's so great to have you back. Um, you joined us last year um, and you helped organize the biggest high school walkout for Palestine in the world in November, followed by another massive strike in December. Could you give us your reflections on both those strikes? Yeah, definitely. Um, going into the first one, there was so much backlash, basically. 
um, every big important um, politician in Australia um, had spoken about it. Um, they, you know, used, you know, they, they um, really tried to discourage everyone, but the the way that they spoke about it just gave it so much um, media. Everyone knew about it, and I think that's what made the first one so big, um, which was so great. Um, students in history have been so powerful through strikes um, and through protesting. That's why we know that that's so important. And I think that um, the way so many people spoke about it was just really funny and it just gave us, like, um, like it made so many more people aware by it being on the news that it just um, made it so much more successful. Yeah, definitely. I remember there was a lot of rhetoric about, you know, there was a lot of condescension from the politicians and there was a lot of uh, conversation from grown men about how this is not a a space for high school students, um, which is pretty funny given the scale of the protest that ended up happening. Um, did that just help fuel you in, in doing the strike? Definitely. Um, I think it also lets people in Australia know, like, this is really who is representing us as a country. Like, do we really, like, want that? It's, yeah, like, the strikes were... Um, in support of the Palestinian people, but also very much condemning our own government and basically saying, you know, like, this isn't in our name. Like, when you say that you stand with Israel, that doesn't mean us. Like, we're excluded and we will continue to fight um, for a free Palestine. Absolutely. It's now February and the war on Palestine is still ongoing despite so much global opposition. How are students feeling about this? Yeah, like, we are witnessing, um, like, a genocide, a digital genocide. Um, obviously, that is affecting so many people here in Australia and everyone that just goes onto social media and sees um, videos of people dying, and it is um, traumatising and it's terrifying. So, it, it, yeah, like, it fuels us to fight even harder. Um, and a world that... Um, doesn't allow genocide to happen because we know that um, this will happen again. It will be um, like it, it, like genocide. We need to kind of put it down to the system that allows these things to happen and take these questions seriously um, and understanding capitalism as the root cause of these catastrophes. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, that young people have so much power in this because these are the people who are going to vote and, and make the systemic changes and change the government. So it's super important that, you know, they continue to speak out. Um, what's the sentiment like in schools at the moment? Are you able to speak openly in schools to your peers and to, to staff as well? Yeah, personally, I'm not. Um, every time something about Palestine is spoken, it's a really topic. It's just a topic that um, we're kind of hushed on, even for school. I tried to do an artwork around Palestine and I was called anti-Semitic um, against doing something against our government because apparently that's inciting violence. I think that's also more of a reason to understand how we're kind of trained to be um, conformative of what is happening right now. And the thing is, like, when they understand that we don't have to do that, um, they get so terrified, which is what happened with the politicians as well. 
like so scared that we actually knew the truth. And that came out as an awesome strike. You know, we had over a thousand people um, and that's definitely going to continue. That's, yeah, that's surprising to hear that, you know, even after those two massive strikes and the amount of um, press that the strikes are getting, you know, it's all over socials. Um, you're still being gagged from speaking about Palestine in schools and, you know, this sort of fake narrative of anti-Semitism, which is not the same as anti-Zionism, is being used against young people in schools. Yeah, definitely. Like, how many thousands of Jewish people have been um, striking, basically saying not in my name that Judaism and Zionism is not synonymous, and still um, Zionists just love to kind of play this, you know, anti-Semitic narrative. Um, A lot of people that aren't you know, even Jewish, like anyone that can get their hands on any reason to stop us from doing something pro-Palestine will just kind of use the same reason, which I think is disgusting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We've touched on this a little bit already, but why do you think it's so important for high school students in particular to keep up this pressure and keep protesting? Yeah, high school students in particular hold so much power within this system And I think when, you know, when people um, disrupt this system, people notice when more than a thousand people walked out of school, it was on every major news channel, people noticed. Um, This has been, um, this has happened countless times in history for, you know, the end of the Vietnam War to the end of the South African apartheid. High school students have played such a significant part in radical history, which I think is so important for us to continue that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, The next school strike for Palestine is planned for this Thursday, the 29th of February. Can you tell our listeners about this rally? Definitely. So this strike is going to be this Thursday, 2pm at the State Library. Um, We're going to march. Um, This one is also combined with school students and high school students, but it's welcome to everyone, even if you're not a student. If you're a parent, it would be great if you could bring your kids, even if they're in high school, I mean, sorry, primary school, or even if they're toddlers. We had such a wide array of people that were at the last two strikes. It's really important that we have a lot of people there to actually just show our power in our numbers. Absolutely. And if there are any students listening today that, you know, are are interested but are a bit unsure or if uh, a student wants to attend but they're on their own, what message do you have for them? Yeah, definitely do it. I think it's so important um, for us to actually understand what's happening here. Um, You know, there is a genocide happening and our own government is not only supporting it, but they're funding it heavily. Um, You know, there are places in Melbourne that are um, building parts for drones. You know, our universities are funding um, Israeli weaponry. Um, and if you're against that, then you should come and strike with us. Even if you're on your own, it will definitely be safe. I can assure you that there will be so many people there um, and you will have, you will feel really fueled and really angered um, around everything that's happening to make uh, what we're going to do on Thursday so much more powerful. Amazing. So that's all we have time for this morning, but I really appreciate you joining us on the show and talking us, um, talking to us about this really important issue that's coming up. Thank you for having me.
So that was Year 12, School, for student, uh, school Students for Palestine organizer and social activist Giselle Nayef telling us about the strike this Thursday. It's at 2 p.m. at the State Library. Make sure you follow at students, uh, School Students for Palestine, that's the number four, on Instagram for more information and updates. Three CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. Three CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at Three CR. To find out more, go to threecr.org.au and get in touch. We're going to finish this morning's show with a track. This one is called Space Between by Jem Kassar-Daily. Never got the chance to say it Stuck on airplane mode I took a sleeping tablet To try and get some rest It's not the greatest habit But I haven't been my best Now I'm gone Feels like we're caught in and I'd be wrong if I said that it hurt just a little Space between, you gotta hold on me like a fastened seatbelt sign You'd agree, it's all up in the air but it's turbulent this time No, I never wanna come I don't mind the distraction from wishing you were here. Now I'm gone. Thirteen hours can feel like a minute. And I don't want this world if you're not living in it. Space between, you gotta hold on. Like the 
so that song was Space Between by Jem Kassar Daly. That brings us to the end of our show this morning. We started off by listening to a conversation that Fung had with Renee Ha, a Vietnamese queer migrant based in Gadigal Land, who is the project coordinator of Stamped Scene. The conversation was about that project and the complexities of the migrant experience here in so-called Australia. You can follow at Stamped Scene on Instagram for more information. We then heard from Dr. Susan Carlin on her research for the Islamophobia Register on Anti-Palestinian Bias, followed by a brief update on camp sovereignty. Um, we then spoke with WIRE CEO Jade Blackley on WIRE Great Debate, which is WIRE's International Women's Day events coming up next week. And we ended the show just then speaking with Year 12 student and staunch social activist Giselle Nayef on the School Students for Palestine strike this Thursday. You can follow at School Students for Palestine with the number four on Instagram for updates and more information. We will be back next Tuesday. Until then, stay tuned to Breakfast for the rest of the week. And as always, Accent of Women is coming up next. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. We know you love listening to 3CR, but we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends. So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps.